An old preacher once told me that the key to preaching a good sermon is to tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said with a nice poem or something at the end. And I find, without the poem, of course, that Luke seems to be that kind of preacher. Last Sunday, you remember, those of you who were here, the parable of the unjust judge, Luke wrote, he told this parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. And so we already know that the parable we're about to hear last week would be a word about persistence in prayer. And today, Luke writes, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. And so we know that this parable is going to be a word about trust. That's an important word for us. When someone stands before this congregation to profess their faith in Christ, the first question we ask them is a question of trust. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, we say, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world. And then we ask, do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace and love? Trust. So when we say we trust in Christ, we acknowledge that our lives are not our own, that faith does not begin for us with our good works, that God is the author and finisher of our journey. And we dare to say that before faith is an assent to certain doctrines, it is first of all this basic childlike trust. But let's face it, such childlike trust is difficult. I'm the oldest, as many of you know, of four brothers, and two of them live out in San Francisco, in that area. And when I spent time with them several years ago, one of the earliest times that I visited with them, they enjoyed introducing me to all of their friends as their brother, the minister, the good sheep of the family, the one who will hopefully punch their ticket into heaven. They said all of these things while I was trying to hide behind the uh, flower pot. But the more I think about it, why not? You know, I am in this church building all the time. I tithe my income to the church. I read the Bible every week. I teach. I preach. I visit the sick. I go on mission trips. I always try to have a kind word. I can think of several people just right off the top of my head who are much, much worse than me. (laughs) I'm not an extremist on the right that so many of us see on television, and I'm not a left-wing extremist either who trades his ideology for God. I keep it the Presbyterian way right down the middle most of the time. I don't do illegal drugs. I don't smoke except for a cigar, maybe twice a year, only once this year, thanks to the Vols. I I don't steal, I don't have a criminal record. 
I'd say in the righteousness department, I hold my own pretty well. And of course, as soon as I say that, I have fallen into the parable's trap, the one that Jesus lays so carefully for us. I'm among those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. This parable is a trap for that kind of of thinking. But it's a trap that's not designed to hurt, but to heal. And you know, we've been at this parable thing long enough in Luke to know that when we see a Pharisee right next to a tax collector, we automatically should know who the good guy is, who the bad guy is. I hear this parable and in my mind's eye, I see images from old silent movies. The Pharisee with dark looking eyes wearing a a black hat, rubbing his hands together ominously, praying to God, praying to God while looking at the tax collector with contempt. And the tax collector far off with the white hat with big sincere eyes crying out appropriately for mercy. And before I know it, I'm thinking to myself, thank God I am not like that Pharisee. And of course, I've walked right into the trap. You know, I grew up in Alabama, as most of you know, and we were always, it seemed to me at least, 49th, 49th on the state comparison charts in health, in education, and as a desirable place to live, etc. And we always had the same response. Thank God for football and thank God for Mississippi. <laughs> we dealt with our own feelings, of course, of inferiority, which were, let's face it, massive, by turning on others who had it, or so we thought, just a little bit worse than us. You know, whether it's the high school kid who feels the only way to raise his self-esteem is by bullying a classmate, or the friend who engages in destructive gossip to hide her own crumbling life, or the politician who calculates the only way she can win is by trashing the reputation of her opponent. It's an age-old method, really, of dealing with our common brokenness. Well, at least I'm not as broken as that guy. Thank God I'm not like that convicted criminal. Thank you, God, I'm not like that celebrity gone bad. Thank God I'm not like those Republicans or Democrats. Thank God we're not like that messed up family next door. We become like Mrs. Turpin in Flannery O'Connor's magnificent short story called Revelation. She sits around thanking God that God made her a good woman, not lazy like so many others, but self-respecting. He had made her herself, she says, and given her a little bit of everything. Jesus, thank you, she said. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But this parable is a trap for that kind of thinking. It dares to suggest that you really cannot do anything to put yourself right with God, to be justified. It invites us to drop all pretenses and trust in something other than ourselves. This parable invites us, in other words, to come home in a sense. 
to return to that childlike trust that we may have left behind somewhere along the way. We're invited to come home even if we are a tax collector. You know the tax collectors. They, were, they worked for a foreign government. They collected taxes for Rome from their own people and they kept a little bit for themselves. They were traitors in the eyes of the people, reprehensible, the enemy even. That tax collector is in need of grace. He's run aground. Or we're invited to come home even if we're the Pharisee, the model religious person, the faithful, dependable, tithing type who pays the salaries of ministers so they can preach on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. His problem is not what can only be described as commendable behavior. No, his problem is his posture before God. His motivation for his religious life is not in response to the grace of God, but in order to try to earn the grace of God, to justify himself. He's as lost as the tax collector, but he too can come home to trust, as can we all. Those of us who are sinners pretending to be righteous, And those of us who gave up that pretense long ago, those of us who hurt so badly we can hardly draw our next breath, and those whose lives seem relatively free of pain, those who can stand up confidently in the midst of the congregation, and those who stand afar off, feeling lost to themselves and to God. The great grace of this parable is its assertion that we are, all of us, in the same boat. Whether we know it or not, we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot do it alone. Only God, only the grace of God known to us in the gentle Savior, Jesus Christ, can make us whole. I was walking uh, to class at Vanderbilt Divinity School, gosh, now over 30 years ago, when someone was standing there on the corner and asked me as I was making my way by, are you right with God? And I said, well, I'm on my way to seminary class across the street. And the man asking the question looked at me as if to say, all the more reason for me to ask. And the answer, it seems to me, is on our own, on my own, no, I'm not right with God. But here, gathered in this community of sinners, there's an old Cumberland Presbyterian church that I don't think is there anymore in Missouri that was called the Sinners Union, Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I always loved that name. Gathered here in this community of sinners, accepting one another as disciples along the way, no matter how different we may be supporting one another when we fall short, encouraging one another when we are dismayed, weeping with those who weep, laughing with those who laugh, and week after week placing ourselves humbly and with deep gratitude before the God who loves us, we come to discover that what we can never do on our own or for ourselves, God has done for us freely in Christ Jesus. And that discovery sends us out into the world 
and back into our homes and our relationships right with God, which is to say, justified. And that's what I wish I had said to my inquirer there on the corner. I should have said what I'm going over there to try to learn how to do is to tell them what I'm going to say and then tell them and then tell them what I said. And maybe he would have asked me, and what is that? And I could have said, grace. It's always grace. Amen.